Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. We create one-on-one custom fitness solutions to achieve your goals without wasting time or compromise. We build and rebuild committed people so you can get out of pain, get strong, and get back to living the life you want to. We don't waste time, so let's get on with the show. Hey, hello and welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. My name is Justin McClintock. Today, we are talking healthcare providers and specifically questions you should be asking your healthcare provider. If you are going in for a specific issue, if you're having a concern, follow-ups, tests, etc., we believe that you can advocate for yourself very specifically. And by doing this, to be clear, this is not creating an adversarial relationship with your healthcare provider. You advocating for yourself will make it easier for them to do an excellent job by you. Truly, the more people advocate for themselves and the more that they ask good, specific questions, the more helpful the healthcare provider will be able to be, whatever healthcare provider we're talking about. We all know that healthcare providers do not have enough time to spend with patients and are significantly hamstrung by both insurance and regulations in their ability to treat people in the fullest capacity and expression that maybe some of them would like to. So advocating for yourself lets them do that. It lets them go even further in being able to help you. This is not a bad thing. This is not you versus your doctor or surgeon or whoever you're speaking to. This is you helping and assisting, walking hand in hand, so all of us can reach the same goal, ideally we are all aligned on, which is helping you live your fullest life. So, healthcare provider questions. First of all, I think it's important to briefly talk about sort of the standard of pain care in the United States. This is US specific, but happens a lot of places. And it's the order that things usually happen in. And typically that order is imaging, injections, opioids, and surgery. You could replace opioids with pain medication, but these days it tends to be opioids, so that's what we talk about. In that order, and these things lead to each other specifically, they lead to each other on purpose, and they often confirm the need for the next step. So if you're getting imaging, remember imaging is not risk-free. Imaging may show things that have nothing to do with your pain or situation. It may show things that have absolutely no impact on your life but don't look good on an image and may then lead to the next step of injections. Remember that injections are not risk-free. Most injections, when we're talking about pain management especially, break down tissue and make things weaker where they are. You may well be able to do things without pain. We are not anti-injection by any stretch of the imagination. Injections can be extremely useful, generally only when paired with other interventions lifestyle changes, significant training, especially weight training. What else are you going to do with this injection? Injections, depending on how well they work, can often lead to the prescription of opioids, of pain medication. They naturally lead one to the other. This injection worked, but only for a while. because The nature of injections being that they break down tissue, you cannot get injections very regularly. There has to be time between injections so that your body can heal and recover from the damage which has been done to it. In the meantime, maybe we put you on some pain medications, depending on how well that works and how well you can live the rest of your life. 
because typically through these, we are taking away elements of your life. Once we see something on imaging, people will stop doing, whether by suggestion of the medical provider or not, certain parts of their life. Once they have injections, they will have to stop doing some activities that they like to do. Once they are on opioids, they will have to do less and less and less of the things that make up their full life. Surgery will tend to stop those completely, and now we have to recover from surgery. And again, to be very clear, we are not against any of these interventions, but the this being the standard and sometimes applied without all of the information and without all of the proper advocacy can be damaging. So let's talk questions. And I gathered these, I talked to several medical providers, friends, colleagues, clients. I also talked to some other coaches, friends, colleagues, and my colleague, Sarah Skedsvold of 9-4 Coaching, who's brilliant, I think it must have been almost a year ago, shared a document that they use to give people when they're going to their doctor with some questions to ask to make sure that they understand where they're going, what their medical provider is suggesting, and dialing in on exactly why it is. And that's, this lets, again, a patient advocate for themselves. It also lets that person come back and share with their coach why these things are happening. So then the coach can work with the doctor and the client to make sure everyone is on the same page and we are all working toward the same goal to make sure this person can thrive. Uh, so I also took some things from Sarah's document. Sarah's brilliant. Again, nine for coaching. Big questions. So, and there's a few categories here. There's right. There's a few like elements. When you are given a restriction, you come in, there's an issue. You tell your doctor what you're doing and they suggest that you stop lifting, stop moving, give you a lifting or movement restriction. For example, this doesn't typically happen anymore, but we used to frequently hear from pregnant clients that their doctor had told them to not lift more than five pounds. That is a ridiculous restriction for most pregnant people, to be clear. But where did it even come from? And the, the real answer as to where it came from is do no harm. If you don't lift more than five pounds, it's extremely unlikely that you're going to hurt yourself lifting any kind of weight. However, it is a nearly meaningless restriction, especially if it's applied in general to a population. So it's worth digging down. So if and when you are given a lifting restriction, if I have this restriction, we need to get really specific. So how did you choose that amount of weight? You said, don't lift more than five pounds, don't lift more than 10 pounds, don't put more than five pounds overhead, don't back squat, don't, uh, this could be movement related. Don't let your heart rate get above 170 beats per minute. Sometimes this is just presented as take it easy, which is also meaningless. So how did you choose that amount of weight? Why five pounds? What's special about five pounds? And if there's a reasonable answer to that, I suggest providing examples. Okay, I'm not allowed to lift more than five pounds. To be really clear, I'm not allowed to go grocery shopping anymore, correct? I'm not allowed to pick my toddler up off the ground, correct? I should not be taking the trash out of my house, correct? These are all things that easily weigh more than five pounds. If that's true, that's really important to know. It's really important to know if you shouldn't pick your child up, if that would be dangerous for you and I assumedly your child. If you shouldn't go grocery shopping, this could significantly change your life. It's important. Or 
if upon being presented with these questions, it's reframed as, well, just don't go crazy, take it easy. We really need to get specific, right? So what would, what would that look like? What does taking it easy mean to you? Is there a heart rate restriction? Is there an intensity restriction? Are you just trying to prevent me creating a bunch of internal pressure? Another great question. Do you have a plan that will get me back to lifting this weight and more? Making sure that this restriction isn't just permanent. Is there a plan if we take this away? And I believe you that we need to take this away. So we're going to take it away. What's the plan for me getting back to doing this? Or is this being presented as for the rest of my life, I don't lift more than 10 pounds? Because that really isn't going to work and is not a prescription to thrive. So dovetailing with that, is there a plan to get me back to lifting this weight and more? How long will I be on these restrictions for? What is the end? What looks like success? When do we know we are there so that I know we can take the next step and the next step and the next step? Another good question. What would you propose to use for progress for this plan? If I'm not lifting more than five pounds right now, excellent. How are we going to move that number up? So I shouldn't lift more than 10 pounds, and then I shouldn't lift more than 20 pounds, and then I shouldn't lift more than 50 pounds. What's the plan? What's the criteria for success around these things? I also suggest asking straightforwardly, will training help me? Will strength training, will resistance training likely help me and help this intervention succeed more? Or do you think it would be dangerous? Do you think that strength training and resistance training would actually be contraindicated? And if so, why? Get really specific about this. So important. Let's say you're talking about a procedure, and maybe it's a surgery, maybe it's some testing. All of these count as procedures. I think it's reasonable, especially with testing, blood work, imaging. How will this procedure alter my care? Because we know, as stated before, imaging is not risk-free. Let's talk imaging. If I get this imaging, how is it going to change my care? Or are we, are we already moving forward with a plan that I may or may not know about? And this is just to confirm that plan. Because if we're just confirming something, it's possible I don't want to go through that imaging and possibly discover things which do not actually affect my life and I'm completely asymptomatic about. But upon viewing may prompt suggestions for more imaging, more pain medications, the potential of surgery. Will this procedure get me to my goal? And be clear about your goal. My goal is to live my active full life. I want to be able to play with my kids. I want to be, go, be able to go skiing a couple of times a year. I want to be able to go on long hikes and ride my bike. That's what I care about. I don't actually care if my labrum is torn. If I'm in pain, I care about the pain. If that pain is keeping me from doing things, if I now can't live the life I want to live, or I'm worried, or I'm uncertain, or I have a lot of hesitation around doing activities, maybe they're banal day-to-day -day activities like putting dishes away in cabinets, or something a little less banal like playing volleyball, or lifting a weight overhead, or hanging from a pull-up bar because these are things I enjoy. If it stops me from doing that, I'm interested. But as I speak to you now, I feel healthy, pain-free, and fully functional. 
I may well have a torn labrum I don't know about. So my goal is not to untear my labrum. My goal is to live that life. So be really clear. Will the work we're doing get me to this goal? Another good question with procedures and testing and imaging. If we don't do this, how will that change my outcome? What will likely happen if I do not do this? And if the answer is nothing, or if the answer is it'll probably be fine, or if the answer is we are actually going to proceed with this plan, whether or not we do this, then there's no reason to do it. Get it out of your life. Don't spend the money. Don't, don't open the door to more risks. If we are talking about, let's get specific. And this is straight from Sarah's document. I think it was very well done. If we're talking about something akin to a joint replacement, right? We're going to work, do something and or replace your hip, your knee, your shoulder, your elbow, your wrist, your ankle. Do you think I should try conservative care first? Conservative care is strength training, resistance training, physical therapy, movement, breath work. Dovetailed with this, are there any lifestyle factors I can change that will help with the symptoms that I'm feeling? Again, nothing we can do can change the way your bone is shaped. That is specifically something only surgery can do. But are there things we can do that'll change the symptoms that you're dealing with, which are the issues you're actually having? Those are the things that are stopping you from living the life you want to live. So can we address sleep? Can we address diet? Can we address overall stress and how you're managing it? If that's true, it is likely well worth pursuing that first to see what would happen. And Whenever I'm working with someone who is on the cusp of potentially having surgery and or deciding if they're going to go forward with surgery, if they're a good fit to work with me and feel strong, we will always tell them that I can't guarantee that you won't have surgery. And I certainly can't tell you that surgery isn't the best idea for you. It might be. Surgery is typically a last ditch effort. It's the last thing we want to do. But surgery is absolutely appropriate for lots of people. Knowing that, if we know for 100% you're going to have surgery, we want to go in surgery as strong and resilient and durable as we possibly can. We want to have our lifestyle factors absolutely dialed in. We want to feel strong, resilient, stable, approaching bulletproof because you are about to go through something extremely stressful and traumatic. If you go into surgery strong, the recovery on the other side will be significantly better, significantly more efficient, significantly less frustrating. This also, by the way, is the same advice I give pregnant women. Training, especially resistance training, specific to you, always checking in to see how you're doing and how you're feeling, adjusting for your comfort, for your lifestyle, sleep, stress, all of that. But your recovery will be significantly better. And this is now recommended by all of the official organizations, ACOG, etc. You will recover significantly better if you go in strong, durable, and resilient. If joint replacement surgery is suggested, it's, it's worth asking something I referenced a little while ago. Is it possible I've had what the imaging showed for a very long time 
and only recently become symptomatic. And if that's true, is it possible that something else is causing these symptoms, that there are confounding factors? Yes, I definitely have a torn labrum, but is it possible I've had a torn labrum for 10 years, and if I'm only feeling symptoms now, might there be other things we can look at and adjust so I can go back to being an asymptomatic person who's perfectly happy with their life and happens to have a torn labrum? It's also imperative with surgery, with joint replacement, to ask what the post-op recovery will look like, what your activity will look like, what the expectation of your quality of life, especially around activity and movement, will be. Don't assume that your surgeon has the same criteria for success that you do. A, su a successful procedure for a torn labrum on the other side of it results in you not having a torn labrum. Full stop, end of story. It does not mean that you feel comfortable hanging from a bar. It does not mean you feel comfortable getting on the ground with your kids. It does not mean you feel confident walking your groceries home a mile. So if those things are important to you, it's important to ask those questions. Will I be able to do this post-op? When? One month? Three months? Six months? A year? Two years? A two-year window post-major surgery is a very reasonable window to look at what these changes will look like. It is normal for recovery to take a year plus from a major surgery. Recovery being getting you back to your full life. You're alive, you'll potentially be able to go to work depending on what your work is, but what will your recovery look like? Very, very important questions. With this, another side we run into all the time, people talking about degenerative bone issues slash bone on bone, slash degenerative discs, bulge disc, herniated discs, assuming those didn't come from a specific single trauma. You, know, you weren't hit by a car or you weren't doing a messy deadlift and suddenly felt a pop, things like that. Uh, if you've had some imaging and it shows something degenerative, quote, the, the quote unquote bone on bone, which is really uh, kind of a scare tactic and I think a, a not entirely ethical way to phrase what's going on. Question number one, is this just a normal part of the aging process? Because spoiler alert, everyone's joints are degenerating. That's just what happens. Same thing with arthritis. Arthritis is going to happen to you. You may or may not be symptomatic, but it is happening. It is going to happen. It's part of what happens as you live. So is this level of degeneration, depending on your age, a normal part of the aging process? If true, it may not be anything that needs addressing. You're just 52 years old. You have bones that look like 52-year-old bones. That's appropriate. Just like the surgery questions, is it possible that I've had the results you see on this imaging for a very long time and have only recently become symptomatic? If that's possible, might there be other things contributing to these symptoms aside from what you see on your imaging? And then... The same questions. Will addressing lifestyle factors potentially change the symptoms I'm feeling? Will some strength and resistance training help me with these symptoms and improve my quality of life? Is there anything you recommend that I change lifestyle-wise? Are there foods you recommend I eat more or less of? Is there a sleep 
hygiene or sleep recommendations that you specifically have? Are there specific exercises or movements that you think might especially contribute to me feeling better with all of these things? In general, I know we've gone over a lot of questions, but if something is being suggested to you, whether it's imaging, pain medications, injections, some kind of procedure or surgery testing, make sure that you and your provider are aligned with the goal you're working towards. Because there are plenty of people who are happy to just not be in pain. And if not being in pain means they sit quietly on their couch and take some pain medications, and that is the entirety of their life, but they aren't in pain, they're happy with that. And that's not wrong, but it's going to be very difficult to thrive. And most of the people listening to the sound of my voice want a life that has a little bit more going on than that and want to preserve activity and want to be able to do other things and want to socialize. And they're aware that becoming socially isolated is actually incredibly poor for health outcomes, especially as you age. They want a full, active life. So ask questions around that. If I do this, will I still be able to X, Y, and Z? If we do this procedure, will this allow me to go for hikes, play with my kids, swim in the ocean, play pickup basketball, whatever the thing is you're trying to do? How will this change my outcome? How will this move me toward my goals? If you're giving me restrictions, get really, really specific. I think that's probably long enough to talk about questions for your healthcare provider, but I think this is an important subject to talk about. I think it's important for coaches to talk to their people about it. If you don't feel comfortable talking to your coach about it, reach out and get in touch. We give people advice all the time on how to address these things. And remember, there's lots of brilliant healthcare providers out there. And especially if your coach has the education and resources to have the conversation and bring what they have to the table in a way that is useful for a medical provider, put them in touch with each other. I love calling, emailing, having meetings with medical providers for clients so we can all get on the same page. And I'll bring what we found. Here's our assessment. Here's our functional diagnosis. Here's what we've been doing. Here's the changes we've already seen. Here's my plan for the next 60 days. How does this work with what you found and what you recommend? Can we work together? I am not, I'm staying well within my scope and the doctor stays well within their scope, but there is some overlap and that overlap is exactly the patient's well-being. Really important stuff. So if you are in a position where you have a coach with that education and resources, consider putting them in touch with your medical provider, asking if they would be comfortable with that. How do they want to be contacted? Help them reach out and it will help you help yourself. Again, thanks to Sarah and 9-4 Coaching for sharing that document. It was quite a while ago, but I've been thinking about doing this piece for a while. Again, my name is Justin McClintock. Feel strong. Thank you so much for listening to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a five-star rating if you have the time. That makes a really big difference. If you have questions, you want details, DM us on Instagram at feelstrongfit. There's more information on the website at feelstrong.me. We value effectiveness, individualization, and empathy. See what it's like to have an expert in the field really listen, hear what you need, and build you the perfect program to get you where you want to go. Today is the perfect time to get started. Reach out.